Hey, everybody, welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. All right, everybody, welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast. Thank you for hanging out and spending some time with me today. As usual, I have a fantastic guest for you. You're going to love this guy. I was just on his podcast not too long ago, and you know I will link that in the show notes. Um, we Let's take a minute and welcome Dennis Barry to the show. Hi, Dennis. How are you? Oh, I'm so awesome. Everything's really great. I'm happy to be here and talk with you again because you're a bundle of energy. <laughs> That's really funny because I'm such an introvert. I do like connecting with people though. Like I do enjoy like having some people time. I just appreciate that it's in my house. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. We're all in our houses. We're all in our houses. Right. So take a minute and tell everybody a little bit about you and what you do. I am a life mastery coach, mostly addiction recovery, but I work with a lot of couples and uh, love and relationship stuff. It's just high performance, health and wellness all around stuff. And I've been, since this is a sobriety thing, I've been sober for about 18 years. And so I, in the beginning, they said, you know what, you need to be of service. And I was like, I don't have time to be of service, but now I've set my life up to help people not have to suffer the same way I did or for as long. Amen to that. So talk to me 18 years sober. What was your path to sobriety? I think when we say 18 years sober, it's kind of obvious, but (laughs) what did you do to get sober and stay sober? Well, it was a long time coming, you know, just like everybody else. And I want people to know, like when you see somebody who has like long-term sobriety, like if you look at me or you, you see these like, you know, happy, healthy, successful people that are smiling. But what you don't see is the dozens and dozens or even hundreds of failed attempts leading up to that moment. So I want people to know, and I just, I was just on with a client who's, I, I wanted to make sure that he knew it's like, you know, it's a hundred miles into the woods and it's a hundred miles back out. So, but mm-hmm. the good news is that the, the trip out of the woods doesn't have to take as long or be as painful. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why I do. And I think you do the same thing. That's why we do what we do. I want to shorten the learning curve. So you don't, it doesn't take you seven years to understand, you know, simple things that people can understand and just. A, a couple hours or a week or something mm-hmm. like that. And so my thing was just like a lot of other people's is, you know, I, I drank and did drugs until I couldn't anymore. But when I realized I couldn't, I couldn't stop. And mm-hmm. so finally I was uh, able to do that because I lost everything in my life. I was 60 pounds heavier than I am now. I lost my job, all my money, and I was just done and I was physically dying. And so Somehow I had a girlfriend at the time, which was amazing because I was really gross and stupid. And she came into the my apartment where I was passed out and I like peed my pants and I was just a complete mess. And she's like, well, this isn't going to work. And I just started crying and I said, I can't stop. You know, after it was 16 years of just going and going and going and going. And I was 31 years old and I, with the brain of a, immature 15 year old 
and I didn't know how to live. And so she got me into a rehab place where I was for 30 days and, and I've been sober ever since, but you know, I know people that have gone, gone to 10 rehabs. Like I was just talking about and, right. and some people don't get it right away, and, but we're all on a different path, a different journey. But um, you know, I'm one of the lucky ones at this point up until today that I am where I am. For sure. You know, one of the things I said, uh, we were talking before we started recording uh, about different situations and what we see people suffer with. And, and as a professional, when you do this as work, you know, of course, my whole drive is to try to make people's suffering less, you know, like that's what I want to do. I don't want you to suffer the way I suffered. I don't want you, I don't want people to have to drink as long as I drank and get to kind of the place of desperation that I got to. And I think it's, it feels contradictory to say it like that sometimes because I was a very high functioning alcoholic for all intents and purposes. I had a beautiful life and I had a home. I didn't lose things in that way, but what everything I lost was internal, right? It was, I lost my self-respect. I lost all sense of integrity and self-worth and dignity. I mean, I lost all of those things and that's what you don't want people to get to if they don't have to, you know, like you can stop whenever you want. You don't have to ride the train all the way to the depths of hell before you stop. And when you say that, like somebody goes to rehab 10 times and they're still struggling to get sober I am a believer because I see this too, obviously. And certainly as an interventionist, you know, I've been an interventionist for a lot of years and you see people that have gone to treatment multiple times and it's just not sticking for whatever reason. I am a believer that when treatment isn't sticking and you have gone three, four, five times and it's really not taking that at that point we're treating the wrong thing, right? At that point, it's something more deep seated. It's going to be some trauma because trauma has all of these crazy side effects, right? Anxiety and depression and all these things that make it super hard to get sober and maintain sobriety. So what do you say to somebody who's in that position, who has been multiple times? Like, how do you give somebody hope in that position? Because you know, our clients, when they've tried this a million times and they've been to treatment a bunch of times and it hasn't worked, you feel defeated. Like, what the heck is wrong with me? Am I defective? Why am I not getting this? What do you say to that person? Well, when we get it, when we get it, first of all, I mean, like we can hear the, the perfect thing the right thing at the wrong time and the wrong things at the right time. Like, I mean, just life unfolds the way it's really supposed to, but you know, a lot of, you said, you mentioned the insides at some point Mm -hmm. in that little discussion there. And really our, our, our insides don't match our outside. So even if we're putting up, you, you were talking about, I didn't have the rock bottom stuff. I still had a nice life and all my stuff. You, you had your outsides, but they didn't match your insides. And Absolutely. that's a lot of the case. And I think a lot of the treatment centers, they're, they're very generic. Like we go in and it's like, all right, well, we're going to do the 12 steps. That's what, that's what they do. And they have value and merit, but what if what I need to do isn't covered there? You know, they say it covers everything, but maybe, maybe not, probably not in 30 days, 
you know, like definitely really- not in 30 days. And exactly. that, I love that you say that too, because that is one of the biggest issues I feel there with treatment is that it's dictated by insurance. Right. So this, so there is a specific kind of protocol because if the insurance company is going to pay for it, they're telling you, you have to do this, provide this, this kind of group, this kind of conversation, this kind of individual, you know, it, it is a lot cookie cutter. Yeah. Total cookie cutter and multi-billion dollar business, but that's a whole nother podcast. episode. (laughs) We could talk about that another time, but what I want to talk about is about, especially when you get into trauma and stuff is that what we really want to do is reprogram our thinking, right? The drinking, the drugs, the whatever it is you're doing, the eating, the porn, the shopping, the spending, all those things are distractions from feeling, right? I don't know how to feel. I wasn't taught. I didn't get that natural ability to feel everything all the way through I, in, in a healthy way. So what happened was when I was a kid, when I was five years old, my grandmother said to my mother, he worries like a little old man. So I was already five and full of all that stuff. And then when I was 15, I took a drink and I was like, like relief. I didn't have to feel that way. And then fast forward another 15 years of the drugs, the alcohol, the arrests and all this stuff is like, I never learned how to cope and how to feel and how to live. And so I didn't have to, I just drank and things got worse and worse and worse. But for four hours a day or so, it went away. The pain went away. Right. And then it compounded. But that drinking, that response to my feelings was conditioned responses. Right. So my subconscious thinking, my subconscious mind, which is running the show, by the way, my subconscious mind does 90 percent of the doing in my life. So I just do things because I was programmed to do them. So like, for instance, when I wake up in the morning, I brush my teeth. Because when I was three years old, my mom was like, brush your teeth, brush your teeth, brush your teeth, brush your teeth, brush your teeth for days after day after day after week after week. And now I just brush my teeth because that's what I was programmed to do. If I have to go to the bathroom, I just go to the bathroom. I don't say I have to go to the bathroom. I just go because my mom said, go to the bathroom. Don't poop your pants. Don't poop your pants. Go, Go to the bathroom. So now I just go to the bathroom because I was programmed to do that. Now, when I was 15 years old, I programmed my mind to say, I'm uncomfortable. Let's have a drink. Let's get stoned. Let's get stoned. Let's get stoned. And I did that for 15 years. So my conscious mind says, I don't want to do that. My conscious mind is the mind of intent. It says, this is my to-do list. This is what I'm doing today. I'm going to eat well. I'm going to drink lots of water. I'm going to exercise and I'm not going to drink and I'm not going to get stoned. But my subconscious mind says, let's go to happy hour. And I end up at happy hour because that's what I was programmed to do. So now what we need to do is to reprogram our subconscious mind. And that doesn't happen in 30 days. Mm -hmm. We need to do these things over and over differently, find out what some healthy beliefs and behaviors are, the unhealthy ones, and then find ways to substitute those for healthy ones. And that's what I do with my clients. Yeah, you are. I mean, everything you're saying, like you would fit into every single episode of my podcast. (laughs) That is is everything we talk about all the time. And you're right. It does. It takes time. And I love earlier that you said 10 years in, 10 years out. What did you say? 10 miles? It's 100 miles into the woods and it's 100 miles back up. I love that. That's so good because I feel like we want to quit drinking and we want, of course, because we have programmed ourselves to be instant gratification, we want to quit drinking and have everything magically be okay. And it just doesn't work that way. And 
and people will get so hung up on, well, why is it taking so long? I just want to feel better. I'm like, well, that's great. But you know, when I think about my drinking, I spent a lot of years training for my drinking too. You know, a lot of years I had to over drink and get sick to learn my limits. I had to go to places I didn't like to learn the kind of places I did like, right? All of that is practice. And I was perfectly fine to dedicate all of my time and energy to put into honing my drinking skills. Well, now you have to do the same thing with your recovery skills or whatever else you're working on. I go through this with fitness. You know, I've brought my audience with me on my fitness journey the last year and a half. And it's the same thing. It's like, I can't be a person that goes to the gym five days a week. If I'm not even a person that can go for five minutes, Mm. you start small and you build and your recovery is the same way. And your drinking was the same way. Yes. Yeah. And it just takes time. You have to give time, time, right? That was one of my early little bumper sticker things that made a lot of sense to me because I didn't get that. Because mm-hmm. of the instant gratification thing. Mm-hmm. I remember going into the bar and sitting there and taking a shot of whiskey and feeling it go down my pipe and just feeling like in the next 30 seconds, I'm going to feel better. I'm going to feel different. And I, I it's I, so true. It's yes, just, I know exactly that feeling. I yes. know exactly that feeling where. It, it's like it's survival, you know, like you feel that drink going down and you're like, thank God I'm going to be okay. Yeah. So now we need to replace that with something healthy, some sort of healthy behavior. Maybe it's the gym. Maybe it's just going outside and getting fresh air and getting walked. Maybe it's some like cognitive behavioral therapy. Maybe there's just different types of tools that we need to put in that our little toolkit or our toolbox, whatever you want to call it, and change the way that we're living. Because the way I'm living isn't working or it would have by now. Right. So all all the people that go to the, all those rehabs over and over and over again, they're not working or they would have by now. Mm -hmm. But don't lose hope either because another thing you said that was so right on is it, it will happen when it's supposed to happen. You never know when is going to be just the right moment where you are in the right place and your mind is open just the right way and you hear the right person say the right thing and it just sticks, right? Like it is a split second and you never know when that's going to happen, but you have to be showing up and being involved in the conversations and be trying to learn from people to have that moment. You can't just lock yourself in your house and hope for it to happen. Like nobody's sending you a message in a bottle. Like you have to go and be a part of the conversations to get those little nuggets and have them sink in to make sense where it does start to feel more normal. Yeah. And then, and we have to take action. You know, for sure, you can't just hope like you just said, we can't lock ourselves in our apartment and and wait for things to change. We can't be anywhere and just wait for things to change. We have Mm -hmm. to take action. Right. We have to take the bull by the horns and do something like we want to really set our lives up for success and for and try to find what it is we're supposed to be doing. You and I, I believe, are doing what we are supposed to be doing. And I I tell this story all the time, but when I wake up in the morning, I kick the covers off and I'm like, like, I'm amazed at my life. Now, I didn't do that for many, many years, 
right? I was like dreading. Now I know a lot of people that lay there with the covers over your head early in the morning and they're like dreading getting out of bed. And I challenge if that, if you're doing that with that anxiety, that fear and that insecurity, that overwhelming, oh my God, I don't know what to do. I challenge that you're not doing what you're meant to be here, meant to be doing here. And that's why we're full of fear and anxiety is because maybe we're supposed to be doing something else. So what we want to do is really line our life up. So it is seamless and effortless. And it takes a little time because especially for addicts, alcoholics, we kind of went the other way and, and we have to like kind of get back on track and it takes a little time and learning and effort along the way. But, you know, eventually if you keep doing the next right thing, then life unfolds in beautiful ways. For sure. And one of my favorite things about sobriety and being sober is learning how much power I have in my life. Because when I was drunk, I was so out of control and so powerless over everything. Even the most simple decisions I would make incorrectly because I didn't have the energy to think things through and think of consequences and whatever. I was always just flying around going, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, whatever. Fine. I just didn't. Everything was out of control, unmanageable, and I I felt powerless in every piece of my life. In my sobriety, it is exactly the opposite. If there is something I don't like about my life, I can change that. If there is something I don't like about my personality, I can change that. If there's something I don't like about how I'm behaving or what I'm doing, I have power over all of that in my sober mind. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing because, man, I was powerless for a long, long time. And that's a terrible way to live. It is. You said the right, you said really at the end of that, it was, you said the important part in my sober mind, like I have a choice and I have power to make those changes as long as I'm sober. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, If I'm not sober or if I'm, you know, drinking cough syrup or getting stoned or whatever it is I'm doing, then I don't have those choices anymore. Yeah. But, you know, I really think that it, it takes the help from somebody on the outside to help get us there. I think a a lot of the reasons for the failure that we feel is because we keep trying. We keep trying on our own to fix this. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to change this. I'm going to not drink. I'm going to not get stoned. I'm going to not do this. And I'm not succeeding. So I ask for help. In my book, I talk about the how approach. Everybody always says, and this is popular in 12-step land, but it's like, how do I get sober? How do I lose weight? How do I have good relationships? How do I make money? Well, it's honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. I have to first say, be honest and say, things aren't going well because I can't solve a problem that I can't admit exists. And then once I do that, and that now it's out there, that energy is out there. Now I become open to listening or seeing a new way of living. And then I become willing to apply those things into my life. And then my life unfolds in better ways. And so it's just about being honest and making changes, but being sober and asking for help. If I don't know how to get there, I was taught it's okay not to know as long as you know, you don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. If I walk around like, Oh, I already know that. And I have clients that I've fired. Because they'll sit there and I'll say something and they're like, I know, I know, I know. Well, <laughs> if you knew, you wouldn't be getting drunk every two to every other day, right? So 
they don't listen, right? So I, I need to listen and I need to have experts in my life to help get me there. And then over there, right? Maybe multiples, like maybe have, I was taught, have an expert in every area of your life. It's like if I, I, have, work, I have a coach for everything. 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 And if I need to go yeah. to court, I need a lawyer. If I get mm-hmm. sick, I need to go to the doctor. And I hate doing taxes. So I have my accountant has to do that for me every year. Mm-hmm. So, and really what it comes down to is I can't fix my broken thinking with my broken thinking. That's right. I have to have somebody outside of me that has more knowledge and experience in whatever I'm doing, right? To teach me how to be better at it. And that was the only thing I really understood in the beginning is I just knew, I mean, I did have some humility for sure. I understood I was in way over my head. I did not know how to fix me. My best thinking got me almost in prison and somebody else almost killed. So I knew I was not thriving. (laughs) So I was happy to follow other people's advice and guidance because I clearly didn't know what I was doing. Now, how old were you when you realized that you actually had a problem, like that you weren't just partying and like, this is what everybody does at this age or whatever. Like, when did you realize like, uh Oh, I think this is something a little bigger. Mm, What a great question. I mean, it's funny how we view things like in retrospect, I think I always knew. I think I knew from being from a teenage years that, you know, the way my friends quote unquote would talk about the way I drank and or look at me and talk about how stupid I was acting. You know, I can go back and I probably knew it in my teen years, but you know, it's funny sitting at bars and going buying shots for everybody and going, cheer, here's to being an alcoholic, you know? Mm-hmm. But then at, at some point it's like, oh yeah, I'm an alcoholic or uh, things aren't going well. I need to do some different, do something different. So yeah, I, I guess to answer your question, right. Like fairly after shortly after I started. Yeah. I don't think when I was joking about being an alcoholic, like I knew I was an alcoholic in that I didn't drink in a normal way, but I think the only reason I could joke about it is because I didn't understand everything it meant to be an alcoholic because I hadn't experienced the sad part of it yet. You know, it was just like, I drink a lot. I drink more than other people for sure. I can drink most people under the table. Like I knew I did it differently but I hadn't had the sadness yet to really know what alcoholism is capable of and what it really means to be an alcoholic. Mm, Yeah. All good points. Yeah. Just like sobriety and awarenesses grow to deeper levels. So does like what you were talking about, it it can, it can keep going deeper and deeper down into the abyss, you know? uh, Oh yeah. My life's falling apart. I'm alcoholic. And then a year later, after a DUI and broken relationship and hospital problems, and oh, now it's really bad. Oh, and it can keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. And then the same thing with sobriety. It's like, I get sober. Wow, this is great. I understand this. And then a year later, that that's not even your truth anymore. It gets deeper and deeper and deeper that way. And so, so I want, good. Yes, I want my awareness to increase instead of my black hole. So in your sobriety, you've been sober a long time. What would you say is your most challenging time in sobriety, like your hardest life situation? And how did you get through it without relapse? 
Mm, yeah, I had really big, two big, huge ones. And I would say like the first few years were pretty rough. You know, I, a, a lot of things were, were hard, even easier things. Like now, now the things I look back at that were hard 15, 16, 17 years ago, you know, happen every day. <laughs> so they're like, yeah, now I just know how to, to manage those types of situations. But there was one, I was very, I had a very successful business in from like 2005, 2006 to like 2011. And um, I, it was a very, really successful business. And I ended up losing that business. And that was really hard. And I, that was, I had to do a lot of soul searching and work around that to learn how to process that and not, you know, not just not drink, but have a, that emotional sobriety that we talk about and not act out and be a, be a dick and, you know, mm-hmm. just to still be somewhat happy. So it took a good year or, or longer to get over that. And then I went through a separation last year when we were together eight and a half years, we were engaged for eight years. So we were basically married and had the house and the cars and all the family and everything. And so I've been separated from that for um, almost 13 months now. And that was the hardest emotional thing I've ever gone through in my life. I don't remember getting sober because it's been a long time now. And I'm sure it was physically and emotionally painful. But what I went through last year was... um, it was a different type of emotional pain that I never felt before. It was real bleeding heartache. And yeah. Heart I got through- pain is the worst pain. Heart pain oh. is always the worst pain. Yeah. The worst. And so I have my coach that I work with because we all need that coach accountability in our lives. And I did a massive amounts of work, a massive amounts of uh, deep emotional work and writing and, different types of writing, writing letters, writing, where was my part in it all, right? We're not sitting there going, I can't fuck her. She did this. And I can't believe she did this and said these things. I didn't, I, you know, it took, and it all, it, I, that part actually came out in less than two weeks. I was writing all these things down about my harmful behaviors. I was like, where was I sensitive to criticism? Where was I emotionally unavailable? Where was I full of all these terrible behaviors that I was doing. And I do this for a living. Yeah. And when you're in a relationship, those things take over and you don't even realize it. And where was I just not being the perfect guy? And then um, I was in, in doing that work and doing all the writing and the meditating and the, the reflection, I started to realize. And one day it was like this, everything opened up and I said, she didn't do anything wrong the whole time. I released a hundred percent of blame. There was no guilt. There was no shame around it. And, and I love her and I forgive her. But I mean, that is real growth. Now, if I can go back to 20 years to previous breakups when I was drunk, I would have held on to that shit for 10 years and blamed her for everything, everything. And still gone to bars and be like, oh, she's tough. She did this mm-hmm. and, and bad mouth her and bad talk to her and blamed her. And I was perfect. Right. And there was none of that going on. In fact, I didn't blame her for one thing. But yeah, you know, that's, that's maturity and growth. Yeah, that's right. That's incredible. I remember 
two major moments with my sponsor saying to me in breakups, right? One of them, I was going through the same stuff, like what you're talking about, you know, F him. I can't believe he did this, whatever. Uh, Because I had a guy ghost me. We were dating like six months and he just ghosted me, like stopped taking my calls. Like it was crazy. Of course I was heartbroken and I'm calling him every name in the book. And my sponsor goes, um, he goes, are you finished? (laughs) Yeah. And I go, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not. I could go longer. He's all right. He goes, um, he goes, you know, Angela, he might really be all of those things, but the truth is you picked him. Mm. And I was like, oh, yes, yeah. I did. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I did. And there's never a situation that doesn't have warning signs, right? Like there were red flags, of course. Um, and then the other thing that he said to me one time is, um, he goes, Angela, you know, he is perfectly allowed to be wherever he is in his journey. Yes. He doesn't have to be where you want him to be. He can be wherever he is in his own journey. He goes, well, why don't you just try to respect that? And yeah. I was like, wow, so good though. You know, because you do, you get caught up in all of that self-righteousness and what you're doing to me. And I can't believe he said that. And he's treating me this way. And, oh my gosh, I wasted this amount of time with this person. And, you know, we get caught up in all of that stuff about ourselves that we forget to think about who we're being to our person too. Like, am I really being the best version of me? Am I being the best partner for my person? Am I handling things well? Am I being fair? Am I communicating? You know, like you have to get introspective. We can't survive any of this if we can't look at ourselves. That's right. That's all. That's emotional sobriety. Yes. All of that. And you know, most people don't do any of this work that we're talking about right now. And what they do, and that's all codependent behavior. And mm-hmm. what they do is then they end up on Tinder and match.com and they're, which is full of chasing, other people chasing the high, <laughs> they're chasing the high and they're hooking up. It's all codependent people. They're like, Oh, I'm separated. I'm not divorced yet. Well, well, I can't wait to go out with you and get right back into the same shit I was just into. Right. right? So we need to really do this work and take time to heal. These are all reasons we drank. Mm-hmm. Right. So I didn't know how to cope with these things. I didn't know how to accept responsibility for my shortcomings and my harmful behaviors and my beliefs about myself, the negative self-talk, all the things that, where am I falling short? I didn't do any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. It was way easier to blame and judge and complain and accuse other people of hurting me and then go get drunk than it was to accept responsibility and grow. Yeah. I'm so grateful. Every time I'm having these conversations, like, there's not a moment of my life that I'm not overwhelmed with gratitude for my sponsor because I had such a good, powerful sponsor and he was hard on me. You know, he really was, it was not an easy process, but at the same time, like, could you imagine being somebody that had to tell me what to do? Like that poor guy, you know, like I'm not, I'm not soft and, you know, cuddly. So, (laughs) but he was so good with me and really did teach me all of those things and that emotional sobriety and really how to look at myself and get self-centered as I call it, instead of other centered. And that's everything that I teach and everything we talk about in all of these episodes, because 
I have, the only person I have control over is me. I have to make sure that I'm doing my best and mm. being my best. Yes. I love it. What is your favorite lesson so far in your recovery? You've been sober a really long time. So if you want to break it down to just the last five years, you could do that too. <laughs> I mean, it has I'm, changed. Like I know for me, like I've been sober a long time too. And there are all these different stages of my evolution, you know, where I have these different kind of rock bottoms in different areas of my life. So it is always kind of changing. I'm always so excited about whatever I'm currently learning. <laughs> Yeah, what what was it? I forgot the quote, but it's like what my truth was yesterday might not be my truth today. Yeah. And, and and hopefully it's not. You know, there are certain universal truths that just are. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing, but it's like I want to be evolving. And I, you know, I remember dating a girl in uh AA, so don't do that. Those who are new and listening, don't date in AA. Anyway, that's another episode. But I Listen, you her. shouldn't be dating when you're new. I don't care what room you're sitting in. I agree. So, um, but she was, uh, she had a couple more years than me. And, but anyway, I, I was always like, like my podcast is called the funky brain podcast. Cause I have funky brain. Right. And that, that this came from years ago, my friends in recovery used to call me that funky brain. And so that's where that came from. But I would just talk. Oh, hi, I'm Dennis. I'm an alcoholic. And I would just talk and talk. And, uh, and then she said to me one day, she goes, you know, you used to just talk and nobody knew what the hell you were talking about. <laughs> so, you know, I go back and I look and for, I don't even remember some of those years because it, it was just like a big blur of growth and growth is painful, which is why we, most people don't pull it off because it's, it's much easier to go get some chocolate cake and a beer and not have to like grow and think about this stuff. And it takes a really long time. It does. People are not that patient. People will just bail because yeah, it's hard and it takes time and it takes commitment. Absolutely. Yeah. And it gets, it gets painful at times, really painful. And so we have to learn to, to feel and get through that pain because that's just, it's called being human. Mm -hmm. It doesn't go away. Even if you have 40 years of sobriety or 50 or whatever, it's like, it's just part of being human. And that's why we have the, the simple tools, the meditation, the exercise, diet, drink as much water as you can talk to other people, read something productive. These are the tools. But anyway, if, if I had to go back, I, I would say it's the same thing that I just brought up. Like the, that pain that I went through last year, it was so acute. It was such a sharp pain, that bleeding heartache where I was crying every five minutes. And I, you know what? I, I have a video. I, I hike a lot. I live in Colorado right now for now. But anyway, I was up on top of this mountain and I was sitting up there by myself because I, I like to think I'm extroverted and most people would think I would, but I get my energy from being alone. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting up there on top of the mountain crying with my hands down like this, just defeated. I was hurt and broken. And this monarch butterfly, this bright orange monarch butterfly flew in front of me and landed on my shoe and sat there. And I just started crying again, even more and more. Cause I knew that that was God that said, I'm here. It's okay. I got you. And that butterfly, he swirled around, flew around a little bit, and then he kept landing on me and he stayed there. And I have a video of all of this. I could shoot it to you. You could put it on the video on this uh this video here. 
and I knew everything was going to be okay. And then I just kept doing the work and I got through that acute pain. And then the acute pain just became like little waves of sadness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all the way along the way in sobriety, the littlest things feel like the biggest things. Pebbles feel like boulders, mm-hmm. right? And then what happens is early, early when I was drunk, I never learned how to get through these little things. And now it's like we get through them and we realize that, well, they're going to happen again, but I can get through it because I just got through it. And so I've been through heartache before, never this deep because it was eight and a half years. It was a long time, but now I know I can get through it. I can get through anything. You get through death, divorce, heartache, health problems, financial problems. You know, I've been through most of them, you know, multiple times and they're going to happen more. Yeah. So the best lesson is really, it's like you stay the course. And then you get through it. And then when it happens, you say, hey, I could do that. I already did that. It's no big deal. What's next? Who can I help? Who can I help? That's so good. So good. Okay. Last question. Favorite question. What is your favorite thing about being a sober person? Choices. I'm able to build the life that I always wanted to. I'm not stuck in what where I am because I don't have choices. Like I'm moving to paradise. I'm moving to a white sandy beach with blue water because I realized after 30 years of living in the mountains that I'm not really a mountain man anymore. I'm not a skier. I used to be a high level skier, downhill skier guy. And I'm not that guy anymore. I haven't skied in six years. I hate the snow. So I have a choice because I'm sober and sober minded. I have a choice that I'm going to move to the beach. And so I am. So I've spent the last four months selling everything I own and becoming a minimalist. And in a week from now, I'll be on a plane with, and all I'm going to own is four suitcases. And so wow. this is a choice I'm making and it, it's a sober minded choice. You know, when I moved out to Colorado, it was, about, it was a long time ago. And I said, I'm not, I made this commitment to myself. I said, I'm not leaving Colorado except when to do so would better my life or something, but not just because life got hard, because Mm -hmm. that's been my pattern of behavior. I would get hard. I would go someplace else for a few months and then that would iron out. And then I would go back here and then I would go here. You know, it's a geographic thing everybody talks about, but everywhere I go, there I am. Mm -hmm. And when I got in that relationship with my ex, I said, I'm not leaving this relationship except when to do so unless I gave it a hundred percent, if I gave it every single thing I got and I did, and I'm proud of myself for doing that. And she had a special needs boy that I raised for eight years. And I proud of myself for doing that because the, who you see is not who I used to be. The old dentist wouldn't have been able to do that stuff. And yeah. so I'm proud of myself. Sure. Yeah. 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 So anyway, that's a, a, to be able to have choices. That's my greatest gift in sobriety. Awesome. Dennis, thank you so much for doing this with me. What a pleasure to have you on and get to know you better. I'm sure the listeners are loving this. What uh, What is the best way for everybody to find you? The best way is uh, my website, dennisberry.com. And you can buy my book. You can listen to the podcast. Awesome. And I will link all of that stuff in the show notes for everybody too. Thanks again, Dennis. Thank you so much. It was so awesome to see you, Angela. You are a great presence. Thank you. 
you've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast, candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.